0: Man, it's been such a good morning so far. I feel like really healthy church- churches, one way of thinking about really healthy churches, um, is that they're powerfully gathered, but they're also powerfully dispersed. Like, we can be powerfully gathered and have a great time, but if we're not powerfully dispersed, we're not living out the mission. We're not the church. And I reckon this morning we got this great example of some really, there's a whole lot of things going on. You know, this all this dispersed through the world, Cambodia and um Schools, we're dispersed through our schools into the community, the prayer for the community. I love that. Where's Rach, I feel like I want to come along. Sure, where is she? Is that just for women? No boys allowed. This is 2019, I don't think you can say that. No boys allowed powerfully dispersed and it's awesome it's great um but one of the things we also do when we g- is to be powerfully gathered like to, to come in around things. that's what worship does you know it kind of brings us into the same space that's why it's good to sing the same words because we gather around these uh these songs and and we gather around the word and i'm super excited actually uh, this morning about because i'm, I'm going to launch into uh a theme I'm going to do, and I'm not sure, I know there's some literary boffins in Amid I'm not sure if I'm doing a prelude or an introduction or an, ep, an epilogue. No, epilogue comes after. A prologue, a prologue. What is the difference between those three things? What, what, what I'm doing is something that's going to come before the real stuff a bit later. But it's going to make you so excited you're going to want more. Whatever that thing is. What's that, Kendall? Prologue. prologue. Yep. That's a prologue. I'm doing a prologue this morning. <laughs> I kind of wanted to go with the prequel because that kind of sounds like Star Wars-ish, a bit more exciting, but we'll go with Prolog. That's fine. Uh, but before we do that, I just need to do a disclaimer. I'm wearing a T-shirt. Wasn't my plan to wear a T-shirt. I had a college shirt on, and as I put it on, I, you know, I usually come in the morning, I change into my Sunday bests, and you're kind of going, well, gee, if that's your Sunday best, you're in trouble, but it is. And I put it on, I notice this button, you know, and... This tells you something about my personality. That'll be all right. It's just a missing button. In the space of walking out and getting to there, three people said, your button's missing. (laughs) Which might tell you something about their personality. (coughs) So after after a quick conversation where we workshopped it with Joy, will this work or not? Is it going to be too distracting? I've gone back to the shirt. Now, some of you, and this is, some of you may feel I might diminish the preaching the word of God without a collar, might diminish the anointing. I'm sorry, you'll get over it. if you don't, you should, because I've never seen a picture of Jesus in a business shirt. And he went all right, so you're just going to have to deal with that. But I am in a t-shirt, so there you go. It was either that or having to explain beforehand why every now and then you get, you know, uh, my, my glorious physique is somewhat revealed and we all know that would be distracting for everyone so I've gone with a t-shirt. Oh boy what a way to start okay yesterday we gathered uh, together there was about 20-25 leaders uh, people in church we gathered together sort of launched the year it was a really great morning again had that wonderful example of lots of different voices and lots of you know it's going to be a year where I think we're going to be really powerfully dispersed lots of great things going on but at the end of that Josh At the end of that time, Josh shared um, with us about something that we hope we're going to... More than hope, I believe we're going to be powerfully gathered around, that God's going to form us around, and that's our teaching sort of um, trajectory for the year. And this morning, it is... I want to launch that. If I do this half right, uh, I think, I hope it's going to leave maybe more questions, maybe more, oh, I'm interested to see where we're going there. It'll kind of open you up. It's certainly not going to answer and resolve things... Um, it's to give us a bit of a sense and a trajectory of where we're going. But um, I really am excited. So I'm going to share a little bit of the theme and then also something that as Josh and I in particular and then talking uh, with others through the end of last year, there's, there's a, um, a verse and you can, uh, it's from Jeremiah 29. You can see there's the seek the peace and prosperity. You see this great, great um, image there of the story bridge and the city. Um, this passage in Jeremiah 29 is going to be like the—it's a bit like the banner. We're, we're going to go through and look at a number of stories and narratives through Scripture, but this is kind of like the, the banner. And I really feel and want to spend some time this morning, just putting that up there, and maybe pointing to a couple of phrases in this that, again, it might maybe leave more questions. But where I have—and I use this word intentionally. Um, advisedly but you know at times hesitantly i really have a prophetic sense of like this is going to be this is this is pregnant this 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 verse is going to be pregnant with life for us um that idea of gathering around something unifying locating us around something as a people but i think there's also just incredible deep truths for and and hoping and praying for you personally in your own world um so before we look at Jeremiah 29, um, the, the big broad... And I've, I've referenced this through last year and, and this year. The big broad theme that we're going to be looking at uh, is the idea of God's people in exile. And actually, and I, I, again, I might have shared this before, I would be so bold as to say, this is actually the big bold theme of Scripture, of what is it like to be in exile? What do God's people do in exile? What should we expect of God? How do we respond when we live in exile? Um, Because, uh, again, we've mentioned this a couple of times, the idea of being in exile where we are in a place where we don't have the cultural, political, social influence that we might have had that we imagined we should have. We're in a place where someone else holds the levers for power and authority and we are subject to that um, is, an, is actually something that, that we, in the West in particular, the church in the West, is really grappling with right now because really, for a really potted, uh, you know, really brief overview of history, Way back when in Rome, when Emperor Constantine made a declaration where he said basically the official religion of Rome is Christian, so therefore if you are a Roman citizen, you are Christian. He made that declaration, and it's the beginning of what historians refer to Christendom. Um, We sometimes use Christendom, kind of uh, people use that word to explain sort of all of the Christian world. That's not actually what Christendom is. Christendom is a historical reality where actually the the official empire of uh, the official religion of <laughs> rome which then became the west because their rome spread into the rest of europe so we talk about the west think of a map the west of the map is europe and so from that down through history particularly through england england then you know it was sort of spain and italy de- declaration but then england in particular became the sort of big colonial power that when they spread through the world so spread Christianity because the assumption was, carried for over centuries and centuries and centuries, if you're part of that get-up, the West, you will be a Christian. This is where we get the language of you know, Australia is a Christian nation um, because the assumption is that if you're a part of that get-up, originally Rome, then the sort of the West, you will be Christian. Um, there's good and bad things with that. I don't think there's any such thing as a Christian nation. I can't find anywhere where there's expectation that you can automatically become a Christian because an emperor declares it. I don't think that is the way. I can't find anywhere where that is the way of Jesus, to follow Jesus. You don't just default into it. You've got to make a choice. You've got to own it, love it. So that assumption hasn't been so great for us. However, the other thing that probably has been lots of fruit is the assumption that the ideas and values of God would be the shaping ideas of a society. Well, that kind of has been good for us. But we now... So there's good and bad around that assumption, but we now live in this era, and it really started in earnest about 200 years ago, but we are living right at the pointy part. We're feeling it now, day by day, week by week, where it's where basically the West has said, well, no, we reject that. We don't think that is right. We don't think those assumptions should stand. Like I said, I think that's actually fundamentally positive for people's personal relationship, about how you follow Jesus that's actually good the end of Christendom I think is actually a good thing because I don't think it was a particularly biblical thing however we all look around and go I don't know if it's working too well for our society where God's the assumption that we should shape the institutions and the laws based on what God what we understand God is saying well I think we all experience a little bit of pain regret and see decay that is happening our question, the real question is what should we do about it? That is, is true. The question is what's right given that that is true? And this is where we want to, and I think it's such a great time for us to really dive deep and lean back and understand. Because if I'm right that actually the, the narrative or the experience of God's people being in exile is actually the story of the Bible, then this is not new. There's lots to learn. There's lots of hope. Now I'm a brilliant communicator, but there's something I found online that actually does this even better. Uh, and actually, Josh found it even, so I can't even lay a claim to that. Um, there's a little. I'm going to show just a little five-minute clip by some guys who've done some great work. It's called the Bible Project, and they've they find these themes and unpack it. So this unpacks so well. The why is this important? So we're going to kick the lights there and have a look at the screens. Here we go. Pass around the popcorn.
1: There's something about being home, where everything's just right. We're surrounded by people we love and trust. There's a feeling of stability and safety. And while some people get to experience
2: this kind of home, many do not. Others might even be forced to leave their home and go live in a foreign land, We call this going into exile. Yeah, in exile, everything is disoriented. You're in the unknown. And in the story of the Bible, this is where the ancient Israelites found themselves. Conquered by Babylon, living in exile
1: far from their homeland. And so they had to ask themselves, how did we end up here? And is there any hope of going home? And the whole story of the Bible is
2: designed to address those very questions. The whole story? Really? Really? Yeah, go back to the first pages of the Bible. Where does humanity live? Okay, they live in this really sweet garden, their home. And they're there on one condition that they trust and follow God's one command, and they don't. And so the consequence is banishment from the garden. Ah, they're sent into exile. Exactly. And so this story has been designed to set you up for Israel's story. How they were given the gift of the promised land and were able to stay there on one condition, that they be faithful to the terms of their covenant relationship with God.
1: Um, They didn't, and they were sent into exile.
2: And if you still don't see the parallel between exile from the garden and exile from Israel, think about this. In Genesis, humanity's exile led up to the story about the building of what city? Oh yeah, Babylon. The same place the Israelites are sent. But that's not the end of either story. In the first Babylon, God called Abraham to leave and travel to the promised land. And that story was designed to give hope to the Israelites currently living in the later Babylon.
1: Now eventually, they do get to leave and travel back to their promised
2: homeland. And when they did, it wasn't home sweet home. Oppressive empires were still ruling over them, and the people kept acting in the same corrupt ways as their ancestors. And so the biblical prophets said that exile wasn't actually over.
1: How could they think they were still in exile when they're at home?
2: Yeah, this is really important. In the Hebrew scriptures, Israel's Babylonian exile became an image of something more universal. It's that feeling of alienation and longing for something more no matter where you live.
1: Yeah, I, I can relate to this. I have a great home, but it's situated in a world scarred with pain and broken relationships, death, and tragedy, done by others, but also done by me.
2: And so in the Bible, exile is the human condition. We all keep repeating this pattern of human corruption leading to a Babylon that we can't escape. And it doesn't matter where you live, we are all longing for a better home.
1: Now, Israel's scriptures held out hope that one day God would send a king who would rescue the world from all of the Babylons we've created.
2: And after many generations pass, we meet this Israelite named Jesus of Nazareth. He wandered about with no home, announcing the great restoration, that reality of home that Israel and all humanity has been looking
1: for. Yeah, Jesus really cared about people who didn't have homes. He welcomed in the stranger. He said God's love is shown when you invite in the outcast and throw parties for people who don't have a place to belong.
2: Jesus also claimed that Israel and all humanity had lost its way, that our self-centeredness drives us to create false homes based on status and power, and these inevitably exclude others. We live in an exile of our own making. But Jesus said the true way home is one of weakness, of service, and of forgiveness. And then Jesus went into exile alongside us to show us the true way home. Which is? Well, Jesus said he is the way. His life and self-giving love proved more powerful than humanity's failure. He opened up a pathway to our real home. And as Jesus' followers committed themselves to him, they discovered this new way of being human. They believed that the real return from exile had begun. And so they would call themselves sojourners or wanderers.
1: Oh right, they would say things like, the world isn't our home and we're citizens of
2: heaven. And so Jesus' followers remain exiles as they wait for that day when Jesus returns to transform this world into a true world.
0: Does a pretty good job of summarising the Bible in five minutes, doesn't it? So the proposition we want to put to you uh, is that this is the story of... This is the big story. God's people living in exile. And whilst we may be experiencing now, and like I said, it's, it's somewhat unnoticeable because it stretches over. It's happening over the course of our life where there's this major fundamental change for Christians like us who, who, people who follow Jesus who live in the West, we're sh- experiencing the sharpness right now of sort of feeling like we're going to exile. The opportunity for us. Well, what happens is we we either react to that. We can react to that because we notice these things. Like I said, that changes for good and for bad. And we notice these things that are changing and we react. Now, the problem with reacting, as I'm sure if you've ever had anything to do with um, trying to manage behaviour in a child, whether you, that you've got, if you're a parent or you're a teacher or just in some situation, if you react, it's never your best sense. It's never your best self, is it? It's never your best self. And so the other option is to recognise that there is a story that is playing out that we are a part of and we are actors in that. We have a role. And so that instead of reacting out of instinct, This seems like this is not right and kind of what should I do? We actually understand deeply the story. We're calm and we go, this is our role in the story. We are players. Nothing is happening to us. We're in the midst of something that God is doing. uh, That's not sometimes comfortable. It's not easy, but it is right. So what is right? Now that, I'm super excited because I really feel like that's going to be good for us, but it's going to be good for our church. The church, Because actually, you know what? As much as people react... Sometimes I observe where the church reacts. And we're not our best self. But instead, stay calm. Jesus is in the back of the boat. He's in the storm, but he gets up and he rebukes the disciples. They say, well, you don't think... You, you think this is all going to come to an end be, because Jesus, the Messiah, drowns in a boat because he didn't see a storm coming? Is that is that what you're saying? Is is?" He didn't quite say it like that. But that's the sense in which there's something going on. So again, we are going to see how deep this story goes and unpack So, so what's right for our role in this. Um, I mentioned before that there's a passage. It's in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29. Let's read it together. Um, uh, well, I'll read it. You can follow along. Uh, or you can read it out loud. I don't care. Please yourself. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He's speaking into a historical reality, but remember, in the sense of the prophetic, it always works on numbers of levels, so he's speaking to us now. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, and give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is God speaking to his people ahead of time through Jeremiah, saying this is coming and it's going to feel really bad because as we will see, God's people at that stage had so closely understood, understood God's best for their life and his promises with them being in Canaan, and being able to be go to the temple to worship. Remember we talked about temples and how that shapes expectations about how you interact with God? Well, the first temple was what? Revision here, test. What do we say? Actually, the first, the very, very first temple was, was a garden. It was actually kind of the world. God creates a temple, says, Here it all is, enjoy it all. And then here, here's the promise, as it said. You'd be faithful to me and you stay here. They're exiled from that. The temple is to remind them that there's, there's, a, there's a home, a future home. It's the garden. There's freedom. There's joy in that. And so they're removed from all of these things. And they're going, so how do we, Bony M song, by the rivers of Babylon, we, lept, we wept. How do we worship God in a strange land? We're going to find out that was such a trip. And I think Western Christians are going through the same trip. How do we do this now that we're where it 's kind of the world is changing, and God's saying, relax, build houses, do all the normal things and we 're going to ta- take a look at a couple of these phrases in particular this morning, just glance over this and again through the next weeks and months we 're going to sort of go through and look at some the story of daniel Esther, Jonah, you know Jesus, and then into the writings of first Peter like that the, the um, the video did, there's this sweep of narrative that goes right into Revelation in the coming age that says, relax, this is the plan. I'm sovereign here. Um, You might remember, Jeremiah 29 might have flashed, probably just might be tying with John 3.16 for one of the most often quoted verses, particularly if you've ever been to a Christian school graduation ceremony, (laughs) I would say for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a future and a hope now that is often used and that is quoted and probably if you've been around church for a while it's right on the edge of your tongue what's often not understood is the context of that was actually a really bad scenario this, the, no one wanted the prophecy of Jeremiah and so we often kind of use this in this you know and it's true it's, it's no less true it's more powerful when you understand the context it's much more powerful. It's no less true that when we just proclaim that, here's, you know, here's a, a word over your life, God wants to be. That's true. When you understand the context, it's powerful because it says even though things are crummy and have gone to pot, God still will outwork a plan for you. And so that is the context um, that that um, you know, Jeremiah speaks into. Very quickly, I just want to touch over a couple of points because there's a bit of Bible code in here. There's a bit of... When I say Bible code, not like Da Vinci... Numbers, secret truth and paintings. So relax. But there's, this is actually, this is how we know it's God when Jeremiah speaks because it taps into all these other things. And the first hearers would have been going, oh, I know what you're talking about there. Oh, they would have been, It would have been impossible for the first hearers of this to not flash to some other things that may be less intuitive for us. But when we connect them, again, bang, this opens up. So plant gardens and eat what they produce. There's a sense of this where they're saying, just do the things of life. Carry out It's this idea of staying calm in the midst of what's going on. Um, To plant a garden, to plant a tree, is to think way beyond, because by the time that garden grows, it's way down in the future in a crisis. Actually, we were talking about this the other day. Josh had this great example. You know all those doomsday cults? Where they, they name a date and then they say, come and join us, sell everything you've got. Don't think about anything else because the world's going to end. That's not what Yahweh says. He says there is an end point, there is a plan, but live, enjoy, even, even when you're not at home. I like the language of that, that. Even when it feels like you're not fully at home, there is still something for you to enjoy. There's still life to be lived. Plant gardens, eat the fruit, build houses, do those things. It's a, it's a really, you know, it's God speaking to just There is still life to be lived. There's still joy to be had. Um, this next bit, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they may too have sons. Increase in number there, do not increase. Gee, is God obsessed with having kids and marriage? My goodness me, we get it. Is, what's that all about? Well, yes, that stuff's important. But again, the first hearers straight away would have flashed too. I mean, that is language straight from the, the first covenant that God makes with Adam in Genesis. Okay, look and listen. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. This is, the, this is when God's establishing. This is how this is going to work. Here's my plan. Here's the world. Go and enjoy it. Yeah, I've given you a place in it. Be fruitful and multiply is not just an obsession with having kids. It's saying, live your life and let what happens in life happen. Because this is for you, and so he says, "Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, all the animals that scurry all on the ground." I think cockroaches, apparently. Um, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and the fruit trees for your food. Um, I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky. Da da da. This is all good. So, can you see the the echo there of what in remembering the context is and God speaking before, through Jeremiah, before they go. So there would have been people going, oh, I can't, I don't know if that's going to happen. But when they go into exile, bang. Oh, right. Uh, concern, you know, what do we do now? Oh, God actually has tapped into saying, this is all part of the plan. Right back from Genesis, the echo is, no, no, those promises continue. The question would have been, does this all stop now? Is that it? Was that all not true? Is this the end? No, Jeremiah, or the spirit through Jeremiah saying, no, no, this is all part of the same plan. If we then go actually to the next big covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, which is in Genesis 12, but in Genesis 17, again, God's speaking with Abraham. Listen to the language. Listen to the, the command. Abraham fell face down. God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Those who have been around church for a while, try not to think of the song right now father Abraham. If you don't know that, you're blessed, you're released, you don't need to. No longer will you be called Abraham, your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Here's this generation, father, blessing thing going on again. I will make you fruitful, I will make nations of you, the kings will come from you, I will establish my covenant as a everlasting covenant between me and you, your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The theme, the idea here, and again, God is underlying this. For someone to have a plan, for a God, in a world where there were lots of gods, lots of little gods with small g's, who had plans, who had dominions, the God of the harvest and the God of this and the God of that. For a God to make a plan that would survive generation after generation and generation, for him to continue to remind people, well, that must be the, the God with the capital G. He must have some serious pull if he can continue to outwork the same plan generation upon generation. So that is what God is encouraging his people, saying it's still all part of the same thing. It doesn't stop here. It continues. And that is so important for each one of us when life happens, isn't it? It's still the same God. The things that you thought you heard, they're still true doesn't stop now because i'm the god the big g i'm the god with a plan and i'm going to outwork that and it hasn't changed and that is what he's reminding people here seek the peace and the prosperity of the city i i'm so this to me is the bit that has jumped out as we were discussing this and praying through it i feel like this is really so pregnant with potential and fruit and life for us as a church that we would be a church that seeks the peace of the city. To understand this, we've got to understand peace. And this has been, again, we've hit this theme a little bit. We're going to go deeper into it. But remember peace, that, that word. We could read that, seek the peace of the city, and we can kind of go, peace, avoid conflict, kind of keep your head down, don't ruffle too many feathers. You're not the big wheel in town anymore. So just, you know, meet together on Sunday, do your private faith thing, but don't get ahead of yourselves because that'll just cause problems seek peace you know just don't ruffle in fact at times it'll be the complete opposite of that when you understand what shalom is that's, that's the Hebrew word shalom is this picture and, and I think the best kind of um, understanding is to say something like it's shalom peace happens is, it's the way things are meant to be it's, it's as life should be when, when God has his first go at crafting things uninterrupted by other agents or influences, this is how things are meant oh this is so good when God sits back after creation says it is good, he's going this is Shalom, this is as it should be um, another, I've mentioned this before, another word sort of picture that's loaded into the idea of Shalom is actually that of a tapestry um, it, it's Lots and lots of fabrics. And actually, again, I might have mentioned this before. I'm a brilliant communicator, but it just so happens Tim Keller does this really, really well. And we're going to read a passage. Tim Keller's uh, quite a well-known and highly regarded evangelical scholar and pastor, um, has built a, a, um, led a church in in New York that was really effective at, you know, reaching people. Amazing guy. He wrote in a book called um, Generous Justice, He explains, this is a bit of a passage, but I think it's just so brilliant to flesh out the idea of Shalom, the peace of God, seeking the peace of the city. The Bible describes the making of the world, not only as the building of a house, but also as the weaving of a garment. God turned a a chaos into a cosmos, into an ordered world. He also turned a tangle into a tapestry. Woven garments... Were long in the making and valuable in the ancient and valuable in ancient times, and therefore they were an apt metaphor for wonder, for the wonder and character of the material world. The sea, the clouds, the light of the sky, and all the forces of nature are referred to, are called garments that God has woven and now wears. As a result, this is great. As a result, the world is not like a lava cone, a power, a product of a powerful of powerful random eruptions but rather like a fabric. Woven cloth consists of innumerable threads interlaced with one another. Even more than the architectural image, the fabric metaphor conveys the importance of relationship. If you throw thousands of pieces of thread onto a table, no fabric results. The threads must be rightly and intimately related to one another in literally a million ways. Each thread must go over, under, around, and go through the others at thousands of points only then do you get a fabric that is beautiful and strong that covers, fits, holds, shelters and delights God created all things to be a beautiful, harmonious interdependent, knitted, webbed relationship to one another just as rightly related physical elements form a cosmos or a tapestry so rightly related human beings form a community this interwovenness is what the Bible calls shalom or harmonious peace. We have this phrase that we use all the time about the fabric of society, that, that things are pulling and destroying the fabric of community, the fabric. And the idea, it's, it's a, straight from this biblical, um, if you ch- chase the, uh, the origin of that, it's straight from this idea of shalom, handed down, that there are forces that are pulling out threads from this beautiful tapestry of shalom of people and things interdependent. And so as you pull out the threads, you're affecting the shalom of this. Things are not the way it's meant to be. And it's easy to look at our community, our city, and say, that is not a beautiful tapestry. That's ugly. That's partial. That's, that's being destroyed. And to look at that and stand back at distance and go, that's terrible. That's not the way it should be. But actually what Jeremiah is saying here and what the Spirit still says to us. It takes someone with a heart and with vision and with courage and with insight to say, I see what's going on there. I see the threads of something good. And actually, I'm going to be about starting to weave things back in. This is the difference between the reaction and the action. We can look at it and go, our city, man, I can just. And you'll be right. Here's the thing you'll be correct. We can name all these things that are not right, all these laws that are happening, all these, and, and you are correct. Then what? Because if you want to be right, you then, Scripture would say, and as we're going to see, some of the greatest heroes, the stories we learned growing up, are because people chose in exile to weave something back in. To do that, you've got to lean in, you've got to love, you've got to have a vision. If we react and lean out and say, this is all bad, let's just huddle together because that's going to hell in a handbasket, you may be correct. But I want to suggest to you, you're not right. You're not in line with the story. And our city needs a church that A, says this is not the way it should be. This is not right. This is not good relationship. This is not healthy. Let's weave. To weave, you've got to be in. You've got to be a part of it. You've got to lean in. You've got to love it. God's going to give us a fresh love for our city. Not a condemnation. Again, I mentioned John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Not on the tip of everyone's tongue. Is John 3.17 on the tip of your tongue? Because Jesus came not to condemn the world. Reaction we can condemn. Move back. That's not part of the story. We lean in we love, we weave. Thank God, literally, there are so many people here sitting that I am preaching to the converted. Thank God Cornerstone has been a church to want to lean in and weave. There's new, it's a new chapter, there's new ways that we've got to do and act in the same story. I'm going to ask the guys to come. On. We're going to finish there this morning. There's so much more. I hope I've just wet your appetite a little bit. I hope you've got a sense of my sense of expectation about how good this is going to be for us, how good it's going to be for you. If we do it right, how good it's going to be for our community and our city. There's a beautiful tapestry. We're going to sing that song. We introduced it last week, and I think it's, it, it's, um, you know we're in danger sometimes of mixing metaphors here because this is a really strong biblical metaphor about the wineskin, talking about new wine. But uh, we're just going to finish with that. Um, as a way of concluding and, uh, and then after that remember we're going to gather around Alan and pray but we're going to dig in next week we're going to get into the real stuff I don't know how I went there with the whole prologue thing was it more like a prequel or was it more like a anyway I hope it's wet your appetite for what God's going to do in our midst why don't we stand up and sing
1: this was produced by Cornystone Christian Resources it is deemed copyright and may be used by permission about Cornerstone.